Hey, everybody, you're listening to Beyond 1894. This is the official podcast of Louisiana Tech University. I am Gavin Kelly from the Office of University Communications. And our guest for this episode is Dr. Christopher Heidenreich. He is our director of bands, um, referred to by those who know him as Dr. H. Dr. H, thank you for being here today. Thanks for asking me. You've been here for, you know, we were talking right before the podcast, a couple of years now, right? Pretty much to this the day. This is the start of year three. Right. So let's go way back and kind of talk about how you got into music and sort of what led you on the path that eventually brought you here. So I still remember the day when I was in school, students started in the fourth grade. Okay. And I remember when Mr. Schott played his trumpet for demonstrations, mm-hmm. which is how a lot of schools start their band programs. Their directors will come through and they'll play the instruments and just give like a spiel about what's good about the trumpet or the saxophone or the percussion or whatever it might be. And I remember when he played the trumpet and I walked home and said, that, that, that's the instrument I want to play. The trumpet's what won you over. Okay. I wanted to play. Okay. And thankfully my aunt had an instrument in her attic because my parents were divorced and I'm sure somehow, some way I would have found one, but Aunt Joby mm-hmm. had an instrument in her attic and I played that until my freshman year of high school. And it was about that time I decided that I think I want to be a band director. Okay. Kind of, you know, I'm one of those rare people that decided early on. And and some of it was looking at my band director and saying I could envision myself doing that. And some of it was, well, what else would I do? Uh, I was very um in depth in into scouting and thought about a possible appointment to one of the academies. Um, I actually visited the Air Force Academy when okay. I was younger, and, and that'll come back in the story. Okay. Um but it just didn't work with what I envisioned myself doing, which was music. I was a first generation college student. My mm-hmm. dad was an accountant, had a very successful business. And I, I still remember telling him I was in his office and telling him that this is what I wanted to do. And he kind of paused because I'm sure he processed and I'm <laughs> sure he knew at, at some point that the, that he didn't see me being in his chair someday, but I think part of him still wanted for that. And I remember telling him and he said, all right, well, what are we going to do? And um, he paid tuition and I paid room and board. And uh, I really lucked out in where I went to school. So being a music major, um, your band director becomes your guidance counselor because there, there aren't many. There are very few people that go on into music. So the regular guidance counselors don't necessarily have training and what it takes to be a musician. So your director kind of becomes your assistant Mm. in working the process. And he was from Kent State, which is uh, close to my hometown of Brunswick, Ohio. But somehow, some way, call it God, um, I ended up at Bowling Green State University. And when I look back through the lens of where I am today in my doctoral study, that was an incredible place to be with musicians who have, who were teachers, who have gone on to amazing places. Um, my mentor was Mark Kelly. Okay. He was, uh, he'd been at Bowling Green at that point, I think close to 30 years. And he had been a high school band director. And when you looked across the state of Ohio in the nineties and the late eighties, and you pointed to the, the top programs in the state, Almost all of them were Bowling Green grads. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. I just went to Bowling Green and auditioned and got accepted. Okay. Uh, I thought about Ohio State, but it just didn't feel like a fit. I don't even know if I auditioned there. Um, 
it just felt like the right place to be. The orchestral conductor at Bowling Green at the time is now the conductor of the Atlanta Symphony. And if okay. you know anything about orchestra conductors, those gigs don't come right. very often. And Robert Spano was, I, I remember doing Berlioz Symphony Fantastique playing third trumpet going, oh my gosh, I hope this guy doesn't point me out because he was one of those conductors that you never knew what mood he was going to be in. You'd walk by his studio, he's in there smoking by his piano. I mean, this was back in the day. So um, it was just an incredible place. Uh, another one of my music making experiences was in the men's chorus. And my mentor there was Richard Matthew, just passed away this past summer. And I remember my high school choir director, who was a very fine choir director known throughout the state, said, you need to sing in the Bowling Green Men's Chorus. And I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll try. And the audition was row, row, row your boat. Mm -hmm. And you sang that. And he said, okay, second tenor, probably because he needed second tenors. <laughs> and that's how you got involved in the group. And I learned more about musical phrasing, about breathing, um, just about being a musician from him. And again, it was just being in the right place at the right time at Bowling Green. When I took my first job, I was the assistant band director at Anthony Wayne High School, located just about 20 miles from Bowling Green. Okay. And I made the, according to Mr. Kelly, I still can't call him Mark, um, I made the mistake of taking a summer gig in Massachusetts. So I actually rode the train back to Ohio a couple times. Okay to do a couple job interviews. And of course I had to say, well, I'm not done until mid August. And with marching bands, it was okay. Thanks, but no thanks. So I didn't have a job going into labor day. And mm -hmm. I got a call from a friend who said, I'm leaving to take a job, but the only way they'll let me out is if they find a good candidate. And I thought of you, cause I know you don't have a gig. So I interviewed on a Tuesday in Toledo, driving from Cleveland to Toledo Drove back to Cleveland, got the call, drove back, found an apartment in Toledo, which is about <laughs> two and a half hours. Uh -huh. Drove back to Cleveland, loaded all the things up in my dad's van, uh, my girlfriend's, who's now my wife's car and my car, and moved in an, into an apartment in Toledo. And I was paid, uh, it was a 0.65 position. So my salary was just over $12,000, no health no healthcare, no dental. <laughs> right. <laughs> I taught 40 trumpet students at one time just to help make something happen. So it was just a part-time gig and they promised me, yeah, it'll be full-time. It'll be full-time. And eventually it did become, but in the meantime, I found a position in the town of Sugar Grove, Ohio. Okay. Population 1000. Awesome. Um, downtown area had a hundred people. And the school had about a thousand kids, but all in one building, K through 12. Wow. Okay. And there were three families and everybody knew each other and knew each other's business. It was a, an incredible place to be for my real first job mm -hmm. because at my first job at Anthony Wayne, I kind of made a list. These are the things to do and these are the things not to do. And at Bernie and I, I had a really good, successful two years there. Um, we marched seventh and eighth graders mm -hmm. and it was the kind of place where parents would walk in and say, well, that's the trophy that I won in 1970, whatever at Marietta, or I won at this marching band contest. So very, very strong tradition. Um, we had a dad, um, whose job was to work with the presets and the presets were sixth graders. So all of five foot, nothing, or yeah. four foot, nothing. <laughs> and their job was to preset equipment or to help move equipment. And they wore uniforms. Um, they were very military style, uh, five foot tall and just nothing. Mm -hmm. And they just ran around and placed things. So it was just a great experience for my first years of teaching. 
So that led me to my next job in Lancaster, Ohio. I didn't even move my apartment. I, I'd stayed same address. Okay. Um, it was the big city, so to speak, about yeah. 36,000. Uh, there were, at the time, almost 2,000 students in the high school. It was one of the schools that was just 10 through 12. Um, so freshmen had their own building. Okay. And I was there 11 years. It was interesting because in those 11 years, I started out closer in age to the students but ended up closer in age to the parents. Mm -hmm. So a very interesting perspective as I I grew as a musician and as a director. And I remember in one of my first meetings with the assistant principal, he said to me, you need to earn your master's. And I'm thinking, geez, I just got this job. I got all these things to do. Marching man's around the corner. Why does he want me? Why is he thinking about master's? Well, he was right on the money. And at the time, school districts helped you um, pay for your next degree. I didn't take any time. Um, when my daughter was born in 1996, I remember telling Beth, my wife, that I have a year because this little girl is going to take up a lot of time very soon. So in that year, I had earned previously 24 credits. We were on the quarter system. And in the in a calendar year, I earned 26 graduate credits. And honestly, I studied on the bus right with the students. Yeah, just blazing it through was, it. It was blazing mm-hmm. through. That's exactly right. So... About two years later, um, and some of it had to do with losing my father, I realized that I, I really did want to go back for a doctorate degree. And I looked at Ohio State. It was right around the corner. I'd earned my master's there. We were very close. Families from Ohio, lots of ties there. But again, you know, God intervenes. He has a plan. Um, he laughs at your plans. Hmm. Um, and uh, we ended up at Indiana. And I say we because at that point we had two children. So uh, Jillian, I think, was seven and Dana was going on four when we moved to Bloomington. And it was an incredible four years, three years of working on my doctorate degree. Um, It was one of those things that I wanted. I was just 100 percent convinced that I needed to be done in three years. Um, Lots of folks with their doctorates are ABD and they're going to continue their their writing afterwards. And I was just convinced I needed to get it done. Right. And so if I was on the couch. Beth would look at me and say, time to get busy, buddy, because it's time to get it done. Okay. And I, I did. I walked out with a degree. A lot of it had to do with a colleague who was there at the same time, and we pushed each other through. But it was an amazing experience, just with the right people at the right time. Um, I saw a lot of change in what I could hear and what I was able to do. And it was all because of the, the experience and the, the, the undergrads and graduate students at Indiana the university has 3,000 music majors. Um, almost 1,000 people are working on um, doctorates or master's degrees. So it's just an incredible, a third. incredible place wow. of musicians. Yeah. It's it's interesting to to sort of chart it that way. And we're also going to get into a little bit because it sounds like you, you moved around quite a bit. But, you know, from there to here is a little bit of a jump. So we'll get into that in a second. I'm curious to know. Um, you know, you sort of mentioned falling in love with the, in, the instrumentation of it in the beginning, but your passion for sort of music, where did that come from and what was, how did that change growing up? So it started with marching band. Okay. There's no doubt. I remember being on the field and what the thrill it was to be playing my instrument and see an audience react. This was, so this is the 80s and marching bands are starting to evolve from where they were in their military backgrounds to being more of an entertainment. I think a lot of it came from Big Ten shows. Mm. Um, It came from wanting to reach an audience, but then the competitive 
aspect really started to grow in the 80s. And so instead of doing a show that might be one week and then you move on like we'll do here at Tech, your shows were a little more in-depth. They were a little bit more detailed. There was more intricacy to it. Um, the big thing for our high school was balloons, probably not environmentally sound these <laughs> days, but I remember parents filling up helium balloons. We'd take uh, refrigerator boxes and tape three or four together and there'd be uh, five, 600 balloons. And at the end of the show, that was the fireworks, so That's to speak, fine. was the That's balloons fine. going off. So I know that that was the inspiration was just that thrill and wanting to be a part of it for the long term, not just for high school. But in college, it was Mark Kelly. Um, it was learning that there was a, a, a concert side that could be as exciting in a different way. Um, but certainly the way that music can inspire someone, the way that music can move someone, motivate. It's such a strong emotional connection. And I think being a part of that in college through the men's course, through the symphonic band with Mark Kelly, with, with, Richard, with Richard Mathy, I knew I wanted to repeat those. And I think that's really what started the desire. But then as a teacher, it's seeing someone grow. My position at Burn Union and Lancaster High School uh, involved working with beginning instrumentalists as well as high school students. So I got to see the entire gamut. And there's so much growth that happens in young students. In some ways, it's frustrating because <laughs> the sounds they make aren't always the most pleasant and the frustrations they have. And, well, this is easy once you your muscles develop and once you learn how this happens. But in the beginning, it's tough. But then the refinement that happens in high school and, and seeing that desire and that growth in students, I think, is what is now it boils down to. So there is that musical aspect, but it is really in what happens with students. And, uh, you know, it's it would be an understatement to say you're still here impacting students now in your role because that's, I mean, that's your job. And I think now we're going to get into sort of how you ended up here because I'd like to know how it came about that this opportunity came around for you and then why you decided to take it and then why you felt confident that it was the right decision once you got here. So leaving Indiana with a young family, mm -hmm. we knew that it could take us anywhere. Um, job interviews in higher education are always, um, I always say it's the lottery. Yeah. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen with uh, uh, three people that have differing opinions about where a music school should go. Um, you just never know. You might say the wrong thing, one wrong thing, and that takes you off of a list. So you just it's just, like I said, it's a lottery. Yeah. So our lottery ended up in Youngstown, Ohio, where I was the assistant director and marching band director. And with a young family, it was really apparent that the two didn't necessarily work. Um, I wanted to be a dad. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be involved. And in order to be a marching band director at the college, any marching band, collegiate, high school, drum corps, doesn't matter. You have to have a certain dedication that's going to take you from your family. And so about the second year, I really felt a pull to look for a position that would allow me to step away from marching band for a while, for permanent, I didn't know. And that took us to uh, Flint, Michigan, where we lived for 12 years. Kids grew up. Okay. Um, back to the Air Force Academy, my son became a, an academy student, um, and it had a lot to do with where we were at Grand Blanc. So again, God kind of steered us where he wanted us yeah. to be. Um, my daughter just completed her degree in occupational therapy, moved her out to California this summer. Big change for her. Wow. But a lot of it had to do with being where we were in Flint. So it was, it was a great place for us to be. But when they left, 
the empty nest. Sure. I knew it was time to look for a position and I still felt this pull for marching band. And that was one of the appeals when I saw the job description for the job here at Tech. I also felt that I was far enough in my career that I needed to be the director of bands. Um, That was one of my frustrations at Youngstown was that as the associate or assistant, Mm-hmm. There were things that I wanted to do that I saw in, in what could be a direction that the director didn't necessarily feel. So there was always that tug and there's going to be no matter what. Um, but here I felt looking at the position and seeing what was entailed, it felt like the right fit for me. Uh, when I met the music faculty, um, Dr. Lyons, Dr. Austin, Dr. Davis, mm-hmm. um, I just felt like it was a good fit for what I wanted to do with the program, how I could see it grow. And the infrastructure that was set by Mr. Robkin, um, the scholarships that we have that we're able to offer students. Um, we put in two concert bands right away. The faculty was really excited about that. Just the history that tech has, the things that we were able to bring back from years past was just very exciting. Um, Mr. Robkin was here during a, during a very difficult time of COVID, mm-hmm. but in some ways that worked to my advantage because um, following someone who's legendary, who's been here 30 years is not easy. Right. But with the changes that took place in COVID, everybody was kind of ready. And I think that was really helpful in kind of hitting the ground running. I don't know if you remember, but um, when I started my first year, two years ago, Mm -hmm. the first day of band camp was hurricane. I'm not going to remember which one, but it hit New Orleans. So we had to delay camp a day. So it was just a, it was a crazy move here, but it was very blessed (laughs) in all the ways things came together. So since you've been here for two years now, what has happened here in this role for you that has sort of affirmed that decision? How has tech sort of confirmed to you that you're in the right place right now? Well, number one, the students, um, just the work ethic that I've experienced, um, the, the politeness mm. and the loyalty. It's, yeah. I, I really, you know, some universities take a tagline and you go, okay, sounds like, uh, just another yeah, it's marketing. Yeah. yeah, it's marketing. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. But here I just walk across campus and you see so many tech shirts. You see so many people involved in things, the organizational browse during orientation, mm-hmm. the various groups that'll sponsor something SGA. Um, it's it, that to me just speaks a lot about I think some of it has to do with the size of the school. Right. I think it's the right size. I think so. Um, when you go to a bigger place, Indiana, you're a number. Um, at a place where there's so many music students, you're a number, and it's hard to connect. Yeah. Um, Little bigger fish, places, big pond big, situation. That's exactly yeah. right. And I think the size here is important. I think the small town is important as well. Um, yes, I hear the complaint. There's not a lot to do. Um, the restaurants are limited. I understand that. But at the same time, I think it captures uh, a place in your heart that um, stays with you for a long time. Um, the alumni, we started an alumni, restarted, rebooted, I called it, mm-hmm. an alumni band last year. We had 75 people come out. And they were so enthusiastic and so excited and telling so many stories about this is what we did and this is where we went and you know this happened while I was here. It just speaks to the loyalty that I see that extends past your four years or five years here as a student. So those are the things that I think have validated the move that we've had here. I'll also say that when I talk to my friends in January and mm-hmm. they're looking at 14 inches of snow and I walk outside <laughs> of my shorts, that's not a bad bonus. Right. Although the flip side of that is right now we're <laughs> baking, it seems, every day. But um, 
so let's talk about the band here. Let's talk about, um, first of all, tell me a little bit about the structure of, of the band here. So I think one of the things that's really important to emphasize is that, and one thing that I've been really trying to push is that students can be involved in any way they want. Um, we have students that miss a quarter because their schedule gets busy and they return. Mm -hmm. We have students, um, we're mostly, um, interestingly, I think it was 42, maybe 43% of our students come from the college of engineering, um, which is great because right. those engineers, um, go into careers where they make money and they can come back and they can name a band building <laughs> yeah, or yeah. name a practice field after themselves. Um, so we have non-majors, yes, so, yeah. non-majors exactly from uh, across the entire university. Mm. Um, I think the number of music majors is under in the marching band is, uh, right around 10, 15%. So we're, wow. we are primarily a non-major group. And my wife, Beth, is a perfect example of that. She was a music major for all of two weeks. <laughs> and I tell her she saw the light and got out while it was still good. Um, she did struggle with a major, took her five different changes to find her path. But she stayed in marching band. She took private lessons from the saxophone teacher. And as a matter of fact, towards the end, probably a dirty little secret I shouldn't say publicly, <laughs> But he gave her lessons for free and she did the babysitting because their kids were younger and they frequently needed somebody. Sure. But she was there all the time. Yeah. And music was a, was not was a passion, but was not what she saw herself doing. And when I look at non-majors, I see her mm. and I see that they want something to be an outlet. So I want to make the group fun. We're going to work hard. Mm -hmm. um, I think it goes along with the work ethic that I see from students. But I want them to know that when the work is done, we're going to have fun. We're going to put on a show that's quality, that they're going to be proud of, that they're going to feel like we, we mission accomplished, so to speak. So um, I think non-majors are just such an important part of what we do. And I, I think the other thing that I would would say is that you don't have to be in the marching band to be in a part of our pop ensembles mm -hmm. or our jazz ensemble or our concert bands. Um, my mission and... Um, it has extended into adults is to see people continue to make music. I, when I go out to schools and someone says, well, you know, I'm a senior when I'm done, I'm going to close the case and that's uh -huh. it. And, and, and that disappoints, frustrates, whatever you yeah. want to say, because I really believe this ability to make music is a gift. And I hate to see students give up that gift. There's something about them that connects them to music and through an instrument, through percussion playing, through jazz, through concert, through marching, mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be, I want to see that continue as long as possible. So I now conduct the Rusttown Community Band. I conducted a community band in Flint. I was a part of a community band when I was in Ohio. So it's really, I want to see it continue past high school, past college, into adulthood. Well, speaking of continuing things, we'll look sort of into the future here a little bit. Um, although it's the very immediate future, the season's coming up, um, the school year, the athletic year, all that's about to about to start. And in fact, I think by the time this episode comes out, we'll be right there. So what does that mean for the band? What does that mean um, going into the season? And what are some of the things you're excited about? And what is a typical season like for Well, this season is not typical. Right. <laughs> it might be, but it's not typical from what I've experienced in, in my collegiate uh -huh. high school days. First, starting with the week zero week game, zero. which mm -hmm. will be completed by the time this comes out. Right, uh, We're bringing back the veterans only. Um, I knew that we didn't have the funds to and the ability to bring everybody in for two and a half weeks before classes started. So mm -hmm. it seemed to me the best route was to bring in the experienced marchers. 
put together a, a modified pregame show. We are going to invite, we've already invited high schools to join us for a band day. So at halftime, we're going to feature the Regal Blues. The Regal Blues are also looking for dance lines to come and join them. Mm. And we'll put on a number for them. We'll do a patriotic number because it is Military Appreciation Day. Yep. Um, so we're going to do a little special thing um, that I'm working on. I don't want to reveal it. Right. Well, it will already of be course. revealed. So uh, <laughs> we're going to bring out the American flag for America the Beautiful. Um, there could be upwards of 300 people on the field to perform. Okay. And then we'll do the fight song. Mm-hmm. So that'll be our modified halftime show, something we can put together pretty quickly in the short time that we have. By the time the veterans come back in on Wednesday uh, with a game on Saturday, that's about all we're going to be able to pull wow. off. Okay. There'll be a big pep rally at Champions Plaza mm-hmm. on Friday night. Um, We're hoping that becomes kind of a traditional place. We might do some more pep rallies throughout the year. Um, So you want to keep that, keep an eye on that. We want to bring students to campus and kind of rally around the football team on Friday nights. Mm -hmm. Um, Our first round of music is going to be disco. That was the students inspiration. Um, So we got a little disco inferno going. The Regal Blues are going to dance to It's Raining Men. So I'm looking forward to that. Then, as I said, the season gets a little strange because of what Conference USA decided to do with mm-hmm. football games on weeknights. Right. So still interested to see how that's going to – we have time to get a new show ready. So our next show is Rockin' Women. So we'll feature uh, Megan Trainer and uh, Rihanna mm-hmm. and, oh, a little Aretha Franklin. So nice, we got to nice. go old school too. Yeah. So um, the Regal Blues will dance to the uh, Megan Trainer tune. Um, so that will be on a Thursday night. And then – I. Personally, I'm most excited about our next show, which is at um, uh, October 24th, a Tuesday night. That's going to be our Halloween show. Mm -hmm. So uh, start with a little uh, Takata and Fugue. And if you don't know the title, you'll sure know the music as soon as you hear it. Um, But then Little Night on Ball Mountain, then a little Ghostbusters. Nice. uh, nice. And then Monster by Skillet. Uh Got those two tunes together. And then we're going to finish with Thriller where the Regal Blues will join us and we're going to put our instruments down and we're going to do a little Michael Jackson. Okay. Might say a little moonwalking. Okay. <laughs> Some people a little better than others moonwalking, I'm sure. Uh, and then uh, our last game, the November 11th game, is Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And so we'll honor the court uh, at the game. So we always do a shorter show. And again, just kind of came together. One of the students said Elvis and a thing went off in my mind, you know, the recent Elvis movie. Yeah. You honor the king and crown the king. It just kind of yeah, fell together. Yeah. So a real short Elvis show for the homecoming. So I'm really excited about this season. You know, for me, it's the music that kind of starts it all. Got to pick the right stuff. And our student leaders helped me. Um, they didn't pick specific, specific titles, but they helped me kind of guide what they were thinking. And, hey, this is a good idea. Let's see where this thread goes. And it, you just kind of put pieces of a puzzle together and it all fell together about midsummer with the tunes that we've got. So I'm excited about the season. Yeah, it sounds like a fun season. Um, I know that um, it's, you know, it's not just tradition for halftime performances and things like that, for the band to be involved and, you know, during football season, but um, it's special when it works. And I think that the time and dedication that goes into it is an indication of that. Um, And then, you know, it doesn't really stop after football season. That's not the end of what the band does. You know, there's, you know, you carry into basketball season, you got the hoop troop, you've got sort of individual concerts and performances going on. So talk about kind of what goes on as the year goes on. So the students and and different schools do different things with their Mm -hmm. basketball bands. Um, I like what 
tradition Mr. Robkin had set in having all the students involved in the hoop troop. Mm -hmm. Some schools, uh, as a matter of fact, we had a meeting this summer with the other directors in Conference USA, and we all kind of shared our trade secrets, so to speak. And some schools identify a certain number of players and they play every game, which is good on one hand. Yeah. Consistency and things like that. Yeah. Right. And then you get into a pattern, you know, what's happening with the games, you know, communication is a little easier. You have the same group. And then when you travel, you know what's happening. But I really like the fact that all of the students are involved in Hoop Troop. Yeah. Um, number one, it helps scholarship dollars because they do receive a scholarship for doing that. But number two, it just keeps them involved, keeps them playing. And Hoop Troop has a wonderful tradition here. Yeah. Uh, alumni will come up to me and say, if it weren't for Hoop Troop, I wouldn't be doing X, Y, Z. Even our new... Um, athletic media person, Kyle Kavanaugh, Mm -hmm. talks about how much Hoop Troop was an important part of him getting his first gig with the basketball team that I didn't know. Mr. Robkin helped walked him over and said, I have this student that wants to be involved with athletics. Wow, yeah. And now he's in the position that he's at so many years later. You just don't know. And the atmosphere too. I mean, that's you you notice when the Hoop Troop has to miss a game for whatever reason. You can tell it's just a different vibe in there. It is a different vibe, totally, yeah. So um, that'll take up, it's interesting how the quarter system falls, the mm-hmm. marching band season hits the fall quarter and we're done as opposed to a semester that would linger on into December. Yeah. And although we'll have a few games in November that kind of blend over, then uh, the winter quarter is basically hoop troop. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we'll be playing in the new, the new site for Conference USA, which is in Birmingham instead of going to Frisco. So be a little different experience headed in that way for uh, conference play. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as we know, all the teams are going to go to the tournament. There was some debate, but I think that's been settled. So we'll look forward to that. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other part is concert season. That's what really will take up the bulk of my time. Um, We'll be hosting a high school honor band. Um, Again, another reboot was the Arklatex Honor Band, which was done uh, for years. And at one time, there were over 300 students that would come from Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, The last two years, we're kind of rebuilding. So we're seeing um, in the 60s and 70s coming back, and I'll bring in a guest um, who will come in and work with the students, and then I'll do some work with the students, and they're on campus. So that's great for recruiting, great to bring them here and see what our students do. And we'll have a big kickoff concert on Friday, January 26th, featuring the, the Symphonic Wind Ensemble and our trumpet teacher, Rick Roll. So looking forward to that. And then we'll do another concert with the Concert Band, which is our non-audition group open to anybody across campus. They just come in and play a hearing so that I can make part assignments, but anyone with previous experience can be a part of the concert band. And they'll do one concert at the end of the quarter in February. And then our concerts in the spring, um, we feature uh, uh, one student from the wind ensemble who Mm -hmm. is the winner of what I call a concerto event. So they'll play a piece that's got a an arrangement for winds or maybe written for winds and a solo instrument. And we select one student who gets to play with the group. So it's kind of a nice way to yeah. uh, boost the program, but also showcase one of our one of our great instrumentalists. So we'll do that uh, about mid-April. And then our final concert is all about uh, West Side Story and Leonard Bernstein. So um, we're going to do some fun music that I think people enjoy, kind of a musical theater type um, uh, show for uh, the concert season. Well, it sounds like you got a full year. So, you know, good luck hanging in there. Um, I'm going to 
one last question, I think, before we let you go, and I'm going to, you know, take it back more, I guess, to the personal side for a little bit. Um, I've been playing music for a long time. I think I first picked up guitar and then when I was 12, and that came a lot from my dad who had been playing music for since way before I was born. It's just my whole life, you know, it's just something I knew. Um, and he taught me four chords. And then after that, I was kind of on my own, not, not through any fault of his own, but just, you know, me taking it upon myself to learn. And, um, all these years later, I still play music, but I've never had any formal training. I never, you know, I can't read music. Um, but I always go back to connections that I made, uh, with my dad and still make, you know, over music and, um, kind of that special family connection, I think. And a lot of that drives what I do now musically. And so, you know, you mentioned your kids and I'm curious to know what sort of connections through music you made with them, especially while they were growing up that you maybe still hold on to today. You know, I've seen enough parents with their kids and sometimes, um, it, so I saw parents that made, both my children took piano lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just so much value in what that does to connections in the brain. Um, it's science. It's, it's just proven how that just opens up things. My son still plays a little piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter still plays oboe, but I never felt like I want other than piano that I wanted to force them into doing anything. I wanted them to find their own things. Uh, my daughter was a swimmer. My son was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both continued. Jillian played oboe all the way through high school, still has her oboe, still pulls it out once in a while. Daniel, though, um, kind of a victim of our moves um, because he came to a school district that started instrumentalists a year after he did. So he had a, years of ex- a year of experience and he was placed with beginners. So there was a little disconnect there. And then, you know, just trying not to force him to do anything. He did start out on the trumpet. Um, dad gave him some lessons, <laughs> but there came a point in time where it just wasn't his thing. And it was not something I was going to force him into and not something I wanted to see him hate because mm-hmm. his dad loved right. it so much. Right. And he found his niche in baseball. Um, he found his music making through other outlets. So I felt like that was something that was not my place that they needed to find their own just because I'd seen others who had forced it on their kids and then they turn around and it happens all the time. Yeah. Didn't do it at all. So, um, we give Daniel a hard time about, he found a keyboard still plays. Um, he's stationed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's a second Lieutenant and still does some playing on the side was uh, Lord of the Rings. I think was the last thing he was looking at. So, and Jillian again, just moving into her job, she's looking for outlets to do her oboe as well. So, um, they found their things Mm -hmm. and I, I didn't want them to feel like they had to do something because, well, that's dad's job. Yeah. How did, you know, as they're growing up and they're like developing their own personal tastes in music, how did that affect you and your tastes in music? Or did it like the stuff you're a fan of, not necessarily playing, but just the stuff you like to listen to? Was there a sort of relationship there where they impacted you? I think it probably goes, they impacted me more than I did them. So marching bands, I think, need to be you know, I think the students would argue with me. You're not on the edge, Dr. H. You got a long way to go, (laughs) but I'm at least listening. Um, and I'll listen to anything. I think I've always been willing to do that. One of the classes I taught at UM Flint was a, a y'all come class. Mm -hmm. Didn't need to know anything about music, music appreciation. Mm -hmm. And my favorite project was that after we got through the semester, 
students had to present three pieces from a group that they favored and talk about them in relation to the musical elements that we'd spent the class talking with a about. new eye that they, yeah, yeah exactly a new ear, exactly say. and that was the whole point i wanted them to look at the music that they knew and i think the same thing with my kids just listening to the music they brought back to me just makes me marvel. You know, there's only 12 notes. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's it. And yet we find so many different ways. The human brain just finds so many different ways to combine it in ways that are things we never thought of. Yeah. You go back to your four chords. Mm-hmm. You've seen that YouTube video. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how many tunes can you blend into, songs, right, into yeah. four chords? And yet they all have something different about them. And I, I think that's the thing about music. You know, the more you know, the less you realize, you know. And, and that's what I feel like when, when my kids play a new tune for me or when I, you know, I hear something that they might be listening to or same thing with my students. Just realize there's just so many more places to go. Yeah. And I think you also kind of touched on something important there. And when you're not just a director of a band, but you're in part of a band situation where they're entertaining, they're performing, it's, it's important and tricky to find that line where you're keeping things kind of classic and traditional, but you're also kind of invigorating it with some more modern flair that is going to touch base with some of the younger people today. And I think you see that with marching bands in Mm -hmm. general, you see how they've evolved. Some people will say gross. Not everybody will. They'll say that, well, I like the old, I had someone just say this uh, the other day, where are the marches? You know, why aren't we going down the field? Um, if you know, um, Texas uh, A&M with Mm -hmm. the uh, ROTC unit, they're going to march down the field and they're going to do a Sousa march and they're going to flip and they're going to do the old traditional style. And there's people that miss that. And I, I totally understand Uh at some point I would like to do a throwback show like that. Um, But at the same time, the generation of students today is different than the generation when I started or the generation that I taught 10 years ago. So Monster by Skillet might be yeah. kind of old, but it still needs to be a part of that tied to Ghostbusters. I mean, how, who would have yeah. thought, right? right? And it's, I mean, it's all going to be a part of this upcoming year. So talking to you today, I mean, I'm fired up about it and I'm looking forward to the year. I hope you are too. I'm sure the whole band is ready. Also, I'm sure they're also ready to kind of get out of the the sweltering summer constant <laughs> you know training and practice but uh, we'll probably it'll probably be hot through the next month I or two so. so um we'll be lucky to get out of it soon but thank you for being here today thank you for talking about the band thank you for talking about your journey um and you know go get them good luck this year good luck this season and, and thanks again thank you gavin Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, you can check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.